Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. In 1996, a marketing engineer by the name of Dr. Dan Herman noticed a trend in our increasingly digital society. And eight years later, the trend had a name. It was called FOMO, a fear of missing out. And you might think that with the increase in technology that we have today, you might think that a fear of missing out would decrease, right? Because we've got more access to information, more access to people, more access to events than we've ever had before in our lifetimes uh, or in anybody's lifetime. But interestingly enough, it's increasing. Because before, you didn't have this to tell you what you were missing out on. You didn't have Facebook to connect you with people you hadn't seen in years and tell you about all the things that you couldn't do. And so this whole idea of a fear of missing out on something, I think is becoming more and more prevalent. In fact, I'm seeing it mostly in my generation. More and more kids who, this year with 2020, with COVID going on, with things being up in the air, they don't know what to do. Hard to start a relationship, that gets put on hold. Hard to get a job, that can get put on hold. Hard to find a place to move, uh, to live in. So many things are up in the air and so many things that people are uncertain about and when you're uncertain, you're fearful. I think this fear of missing out that Dr. Herman noticed is something that each and every single one of us here today can relate to. Now, whether that's something small, like maybe missing out on an inside joke at the office, or something big, like missing out on what you're supposed to do with your life, or who you're supposed to marry, or I think all of us have experienced this fear of missing out. I even think the Christian world has its own form of FOMO, this own idea of missing out on God's will. The idea of wondering, what does God want for me? Eh, it could be something as small as I don't know, what does he want me to do today? Or something as big as, what does he want me to do with my life? I think a lot of times for us, it ends up either being we are so afraid of making the wrong decision that we don't make a decision, or we're afraid we already missed it in the past. That we did something that we just, I miss God's best for me, so I'm stuck with where I am now. And I'm really noticing this in my generation where people are so afraid of making the wrong decision that they just make no decision at all. Which, by the way, is a decision. Choosing to do nothing is still making a choice. And we have this fear that, well, if I choose A, well, maybe B would have been better. But then if I go with B, maybe A would have been better. And we just end up in the... Anybody here know what I'm talking about? You ever feel that? Yeah. I think some of us are a little more vocal about it, but I think all of us are have experienced that at some point, where we just, we don't quite know what to do and we're grasped by fear. With this message today, I have a big task. I want to lead you into a life free 
of the crippling effects of fear. I want to lead you into a life free of worry and regret, the life that God intended for you to live. How's that sound in the next 30 minutes? Good start. All right, then let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. You say, why do you keep going to Nehemiah? If you, if you were here back over the summer, I preached a couple of Nehemiah sermons too. It's, it's just like what Pastor has done. He went through the series on Matthew a little while ago. He's going through Revelation on Wednesday nights now and uh, Exodus on Sundays. It's good as a church to be able to go through books of the Bible. I mean, there's nothing wrong with other styles of preaching too. Preaching on topics is good. But when you go with what the Bible says through a book, I don't get to choose what to preach. I can't give you my hobby horses today. I have to go with what the Bible says. And so that's why we're back in Nehemiah. So hopefully if I get a few more chances to preach over the next few years by that time, you'll have studied the book of Nehemiah with me. I think it's just an awesome, awesome, very practical book for our lives. So, Pastor, thank you for the opportunity to preach today. Like you said last week, no place I'd rather preach than open Bible. You guys are family to me. And thank you for anyone also who's watching online. It's a pleasure to have you joining us, and I hope this will be a blessing to you. So, Nehemiah chapter 6, let's begin verse 1. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages of the plain of Anno. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. All right, like I said a little a second ago, I was able to preach two messages in Nehemiah back over the summer. So if you did not get to hear those, or you're a little fuzzy on who some of these people are, I recommend sometime this week, go back, listen to those, because we don't have time to give the whole historical context today. Uh, but back from July, they're on our YouTube. We talked a little bit about who Nehemiah, Sambalat, Tobiah, who those people are, and what their situation is. So right now, all you need to know for today, Nehemiah, main guy in the story, Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, they don't like him. That's where we are right now. He's built, he just finished building the wall. And so these people are trying to discredit him. And something we're going to see time and time and time again in this chapter is that Nehemiah is being attacked in a way that could lead to fear. Everything that he has going on in his life could just lead to a, a fear of making the wrong decision. Because remember that Nehemiah is leading an entire nation at this point. You know, when you lead... Fear goes up because the chances of failure go up. That's whether you're leading a nation, whether you're leading a church, whether you're leading a, a, a home group, or leading your kids to the grocery store. Because if you're by yourself and you do something good, you benefit. You do something bad, well, you deal with that. But as soon as you have somebody else with you, if you do good, they benefit too. But if you do bad, they feel it also. So when you lead, there's a greater sense of responsibility, a greater fear of making the wrong decision because it affects more people. And that's where Nehemiah is with this. You say, well, what's going on with this? Well, look at verse 5. Then sent Sambalat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time. 
It's kind of like getting a robocall over and over again, you know, getting the same thing. Anybody ever experienced that? So, yeah, it's just so, I don't, I don't know what it is. I've gotten so many of those last month. I never got that many before. Now I just keep getting these robocalls. I'm like, this is annoying. And then I thought, oh, that's probably what Nehemiah felt like. Same message over and over again here. They sent to me the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen, and well, Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. All right, so what's going on? The whole idea of this open letter was that anybody could read it. This was not a private Facebook message between Sanballat and uh, Nehemiah. This was something that anybody who came across this could read. And it was a public accusation of sedition. Sanballat and his friends were trying to accuse Nehemiah of building himself up to be the new king of Israel. Say, okay, okay, what's the big deal? There were kings in Israel before. Well, yeah, right now they were ruled by the Persian government. A guy by the name of Artaxerxes, who basically ruled the known world at this time, he was over Nehemiah. So in a very rough way, Nehemiah functioned as our governors do to our president. Not an exact correlation, but how each state has a governor under our president, that's kind of how Nehemiah functioned under Artaxerxes right now. So imagine then if any given governor said that they were basically trying to take over the United States. Slight problem. And that's what these people are accusing Nehemiah of. Now it gets worse. Because if you know your history from this, back in the book of Ezra, that's the exact reason that the wall stopped being built in the first place. You see, when the Jews first came back into the land, they started building the wall. You know, we just jump right in with Nehemiah and we say, oh, okay, the wall's broken down, they need help. But actually, back in the book of Ezra, they started to build the wall. But then some enemies came and accused them of trying to start their own kingdom. And Artaxerxes stopped it because he was afraid they were trying to rebel. So even though Nehemiah got the clearance to start again, the enemies know exactly which buttons to push because they're making the exact same claim they made before to the exact same guy that stopped the work before. Nehemiah is not in a good spot right now. It just seems like everything is coming up against him. And how would you respond to that if you were in his situation? How could you respond? I mean, seriously, think about that. If you tried to defend yourself, you seem guilty for trying too hard. If you don't defend yourself, you seem guilty because you don't want to say anything about it. What do you do? Look at what Nehemiah did. He just said... It's not true. You're telling lies. And then he went right back to doing the work. He did not let the fear grip him from this. Because he was working under Artaxerxes. This could have cost him his job and probably his life too. And it would have cost the Jews their opportunity to live in the land. So much at stake here. And yet he trusted God. You say, how do you know that? Look at verse 9. For they made us afraid, saying, Their hand shall be weakened from the work that be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. He prayed for strength. And we have to ask, did God grant his request? Yeah, 
I think so. Because in the very next verse, we'll find this out in a minute, the very next verse, he has the strength to respond to the tricksters, the people who were trying to trip him up. He has the strength. So why then did God answer his prayers so quickly? Anybody ever have God not answer a prayer right when you wanted him to? <laughs> oh, yeah. Why didn't Nehemiah's get answered so fast? Well, I'd say it's because he prayed within God's will. You see, if your prayers are not getting answered, it is possible. Now, not guaranteed. Please understand, it's not guaranteed, but it's possible that it is because your prayers are you-centered instead of God-centered. Nehemiah would have been feeling fearful, probably weak, probably discouraged with everything that was going on, and that is not how God wants his people to feel. If you are feeling weak, discouraged, fearful, that is not from God, and that is not what he wants for you, so it is always within God's will to pray for strengthening. You notice that Nehemiah didn't pray for the outcome that he wanted. He prayed for strength so that God's outcome would happen. And then he was willing to go live that out. And see, that's why I think Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. Not for us necessarily to pray these exact same words every day, although there's nothing wrong with that, but to give us a pattern that makes sure we pray within the framework of God's will. And that's what Nehemiah did. So you see, if, if you're feeling fearful, defeated, discouraged, you can pray for strength, and God's going to give it to you. He doesn't leave his children hanging. He's never going to give up on you. I think we've all had experiences of people leaving us hanging, but that's not what God does. God has you if you fall on him instead of trying to live on your own strength. And man, did Nehemiah need that. You know, there, there's, just, there's so much we could cover in this chapter of everything that's going on with Nehemiah. It is a ton to unpack. I feel like I already gave you so much to try to think through on that. But ultimately, if we could boil down the entire chapter into one word, I think it would be discernment. Because Nehemiah was discerning of what the right decision would be to make. He was bombarded with one test after another, each crafted to throw him off, each crafted to make him fearful and make the wrong decision. And if he made the wrong misstep, if he made a misstep, it would have cost him his career, probably his life too. So how did he know what to do? How can we know what to do in our daily decisions? Discernment. It comes down to exercising biblical discernment like Nehemiah did. In fact, I think he gives us a pattern for how to do that. Number one, I'd say, do your research. You say, where do you get that from? Do your research. Well, look at verse 10 and following with me. Afterward, this is Nehemiah speaking, afterward, I came unto the house of Shemiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabiel, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they'll come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they'll come to slay thee. They say, oh, okay, what's the big deal with this? Well, in the temple, only Levites were allowed to enter. They were God's chosen people to take care of the temple area. Guess what Nehemiah wasn't? A Levite. So for him to go in would have been breaking God's law. And he was able to determine that. Look at verse 11. And I said, should a man such as I flee? 
Who is there that, being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so in sin, that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, think upon Tobiah and Sambalat according to these works, and to the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets, that they have put me in fear. Now I want to draw your attention to a little point at the start of verse 12, and that's the word low. And that's not a misspelling of low as in the opposite of high. It's an old English way of saying behold, which is also an old English way of saying look, pay attention. Uh, let me just ask you, what do you do if somebody you know says pay attention? Hopefully, you pay attention. Hopefully, so the guys in here are going, really, I'm supposed to do that? Okay. Yes, yes, you're supposed to do that. So why is it when we read a word like that in Scripture, we just pass over it? Can I just give you a little piece of advice, a little side note from the message today? If you see the word lo, behold, or verily in Scripture, that is the author's way of trying to tell you this is important. That's his way of saying to you 2,000 years later, hey, pay attention. Look, this is important. So if I can just encourage you with this little thought, when you're reading the Bible and you come across lo, verily, or behold, pay a little extra attention to what's about to come up because the person speaking or the person writing the passage thought it was important for you and I to pay attention to. So let's see what Nehemiah thinks is so important. He says, lo, he perceived that the invitation from Shemiah was not from God, but rather a trick of Sambalah and Tobiah. Well, how do you realize that? The Bible doesn't say he received any special revelation about it. He didn't get a tingly feeling in his stomach that said, oh, this is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. How do you know? We perceived it. You see, when we use the word perceive in English, I think of almost just like a gut feeling. Like, I perceive he's a good person, or I perceive she knows more than she lets on. or It's just kind of this idea of either I feel good about this or I feel bad about this. But that's not what the word means in the Bible. The biblical word actually means to investigate or inspect carefully. You see, Nehemiah did his research. He didn't just say, oh man, I've got a bad feeling about this invitation. I don't think I want to take it. No, he looked at it. He said, all right, let me think about who these people are. Let me think about what connections this guy has, maybe to Sambalad or Tobiah. Let me see. Oh, they want me to go into the temple. I'm not a Levite. This would not be good. He did his research. He thought about it from different angles. And you see, there's nothing wrong with a, a gut feeling except for the fact that sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. And I think all of us sometimes have a tendency to think we're better at it than we really are. You know, oh, my, my, I, my gut just tells me to do this. Well, maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. If you're a Christian, though, you have something in you that's always right, and he's called the Holy Spirit. It's a little more reliable than a gut feeling. And when you do your research, when you're able to gather the information on a decision that you have to make, and put it up together and just view it almost like a diamond, seeing the different facets of it, seeing the different angles that helps for you to make a right decision because how could you make a decision properly if you don't know all the information? So I think the first important step is to do your research and the second is to compare with the Bible. Now I realize Nehemiah did not have the Bible. 
He was living the Bible. But he had some part of Scripture. He had the Torah, the five books of Moses, and uh, you know, he was filled with the Spirit for this task. So uh, I think he was able to compare with what he had. And I think this is where we see it with the, with the, um, the discernment that he used, the perceiving Because sometimes God may send someone into your life to give you advice or a warning or something from a different perspective, but those words will never contradict his established word and character. Let me say that one more time because those are the blanks for you guys in the next point. If God sends someone to speak into your life, those words will never contradict his established word and character. See, every church, every church has somebody at least one person who thinks it is their spiritual gift to speak into another person's life, to come up to you and tell you what God wants for you. But God's word will never contradict his established word and character. Friends, I can tell you that if somebody else wants to come in and tell you what God wants for your life, you need to compare it with Scripture. Because if it goes against God's word, I can tell you it isn't from God. Galatians 1.8 says that the gospel is what it is right now. The story of Scripture closed with Revelation. So if somebody comes to you and they just want to uh, tell you something new from God, or so, that's not from God. But let me also say, if somebody just wants to explain a passage in a way that's new to you, or, or maybe explain, give you some wisdom because they've been down the path, they, that's fine. God can use that, but you always have to compare it with Scripture. That's the principle of being a Berean Christian, right? Comparing everything you hear with Scripture. And that's what Nehemiah did here. He compared what they were saying with what God would have wanted for him. And folks, I really think this step will help you to make a lot of decisions. It will filter a whole lot out for you. Well, should I marry this person? Well, are they a Christian? Eh, not yet. There's your decision. Should I wear this? Well, is it modest? There's your decision. Now, I realize that one has a very broad range of things that people could consider modest, but I did that for a purpose because you have to see what God wants. You have to follow his word and his will, not what I tell you the standard is. You have to filter it through scripture, not another man's words. And if something gets flagged in your mind of just... I'm not sure if that's something God would want me to do or not, then don't do it until you are sure. That's the principle of Romans 14 in Christian liberty. That we are free to do things in Jesus, but if you are not certain that it's okay, you don't do it until you are certain. Now, I'm not trying to oversimplify here. I know that this message is not going to fix every problem that you have. I realize there's still going to be a lot of gray areas in your life of being able to look at something in Scripture and say, yeah, it could go either way. So I'm, I'm really not trying to oversimplify, but I do believe that following this pattern is going to help you to at least make the decisions easier that you have to make. And that leads us into the third point of don't give in to fear. God's pattern is do your research compare with the Bible, and don't give in to fear. Nehemiah's enemies were working with the explicit intent of making him afraid. And when you allow fear to dictate your actions, you will almost always make the wrong decision. 
Let me say that one more time. When you allow fear to dictate your actions, you will almost always make the wrong decision. In fact, if you can help it, it's best not to make a decision when you are very fearful. Christians especially, we kind of have this idea of this Christian FOMO, the idea of missing out on what does God want me to do? Does he want me to do this? Does he want me to do that? And we just, we end up making no decision with it. I see this especially in my age group. I'm kinda, I know it's a family Sunday, and so we've got some younger kids in here and stuff, so I'm kind of talking a little bit to my age group and a little bit younger too, especially with this, because that's where I see it most. And my friends, I have a lot of people I know who are trying to either start a relationship or get a job or get their own place, and they're, they're feeling this, I don't know if it's what God wants for me or not. And usually it sounds something like, oh, Sure, you know, that, he's a great guy, but maybe he's not you know, the one for me. Oh, yeah, that, that's a really good college, but I prayed that God would have them send me a letter, even though I never contacted them, and I just I haven't gotten the letter yet, so it must not be God's will. And, and please, I don't think I'm mocking anybody who said, I've said things like that too. But I don't think that pattern's biblical. And here's why. There are only about 20 verses in Scripture that deal with God's will. Kind of surprising. I would have thought for something that big, that serious, he would, God would have talked about that a lot. But you could pick just about any other topic in Scripture and find more verses on it. Only about 20 cover it. But they can all be boiled down essentially to one verse, and that's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. God's will for you, here it is, folks, personal will of God for you is that you're growing to be more like him. For the grammar nerds out there, all one or two of you, wherever you are, I don't know, the idea of the sentence is that God's will equals your sanctification. Your sanctification equals God's will. Those two things are parallel. So here's the idea of it. If it draws you closer to God, it is his will. If it pushes you further away from him, it's not. And again, I'm not trying to oversimplify your life, but I really think if you just put it through that filter, decisions become easier. Is what I am about to do going to push me further away from God, or is it going to draw me closer to him? If it's going to push you away, he doesn't want it for you. If it's going to draw you closer, then go for it. The Bible parent is not rifling through the pages of Scripture, putting your finger down and saying, okay, there's what I'm going to do. No marrying a girl named Grace because the Bible says grace be unto you. Yes, that has happened, the things you learn at Bible college. God's will for your life is what draws you closer to him. And that's why I think that the way we tend to make decisions is not God's will. It's not what he wants because it leads us to fear, a fear of missing out on something. And fear and worry are never what God wants for you. 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the what? Spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So that means that if you are feeling fearful right now, this week, in the next month, in the next year, you can automatically rule out that it is God who is making you feel fearful. He does not give a spirit of fear. He does not want you to be fearful. He wants you to feel love, power, and clarity of thought.
So if you are feeling powerless, unloved or unloving, and confused, that is not coming from God. And my friends, he does not want you to feel that way anymore today. He wants you to get away from that line of thinking as quickly as you possibly can and get into a biblical line of thinking that removes fear and brings power, love, and sound thinking into your life. That is God's will for you. I picked this message for today because I think fear is something that we've all felt this year. 2020 has been a hard year for all of us in different ways. But I think we've all experienced some form of fear. And I know as we look into the new year, we have this temptation. I'm just being honest with you because I feel this too. That as soon as we go from 11.59 p.m. on December 31st, 2020 to midnight on January 1st, 2021, all of a sudden everything's going to be better. I don't think that's the way it's going to work. Now, do I think 2021 will be better? Yeah. But changing a calendar doesn't change your situation. That's why what Pastor preached last week about your focus, what you are focusing on, is the important thing. And I am afraid that as people go into the new year and things maybe don't get better right away, they're going to start feeling depressed, both in the generic and clinical sense of the term. And so I want you as a church family to remember that when fear tries to come at you from all angles like it did for Nehemiah, that that is not what God wants for you. He wants for you to feel loved, empowered, and clear in your thinking. As we go into a new year, that is what he wants for you. How can you do that? Well, with your decisions, you do your research, you compare it with the Bible, and you don't give in to fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So as we go into a time of prayer, I want to challenge you to give up on fear, to let it go today. Don't wait. Commit to God to follow him in making decisions that are in his will and not letting fear control you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know I spoke a lot about God's will. I directed the message mainly to Christians here today. But at the very heart of the message was the idea of fear and conquering it. And fear is something that everybody experiences, whether you consider yourself a Christian, an atheist, a Muslim, Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, fill in the blank. No matter what you believe, you can feel fear. I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what gives us the power to overcome fear. So if you're here today, whether listening online or here in person, and you say, I have been a slave to fear, and I want to change that today, I'd like to pray for you and be able to be a help to you. If maybe that's for knowing for sure that you can go to heaven and that's something maybe you've never done, well, we'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you are a Christian and you just want to be able to take the next step in overcoming fear in your life.
And I think that's why God brought you here today. So can I just ask, if, if, if you say, I have been living as a slave to fear in one form or fashion, and I want to change that today, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? you say, I've been living as a slave to fear, and I want to change that. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, our prayer is simple. I pray that you would show us where we have been fearful, and as it comes on us, bring back to mind that it is not from you and fill us with your power, your love, and clear thinking to make decisions that are in line with your will today and into the new year and for the rest of our lives. In your son's name, Pastor. Hey folks, thank you so much for watching today. I hope that it was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you don't know Christ, your personal Savior, accepted him today into your life and, and you put your faith in him, I would like to send you free of charge two things. First, I'd like to send you this book, Done, is written by a friend of mine, What Other Religions Don't Tell You About the Bible, and then secondly, a brand new Bible just like this one I'd like to send to you. So please, do me a favor. First, I'd like to hear about your commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill out the electronic connection card right below. Click the link. When you fill that out, put your address in, and I will be happy to send this book done and this brand new Bible free of charge to you. God bless you, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.